Hi guys, welcome to the Tradeco Crypto Show from the Dubai Blockchain Summit. Today's guest is Ali Madhavji, who is from the Blockchain Founders Fund. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show, mate. Thank you. Great to have, great to, great to be here. Yeah, look, I appreciate your time immensely. I'm looking forward to the conversation. As you can tell, my introduction skills were a bit poor, so why don't you just introduce yourself and let us know what you're doing and uh, what got you to where you are today. Absolutely. So uh, as uh, Craig mentioned, my name is Ali. I'm a managing partner at Blockchain Founders Fund. I'm also a senior investment advisor on BitBlock Capital and Fiat Capital Fund. Uh, started off as an entrepreneur in blockchain a few years ago when I launched an exchange, uh, originally called Global DCX, now called Aluma. Uh, following that, I ended up starting Blockchain Founders Fund or formalizing our investment funds as well as uh, our incubator. So that's the focus uh, that I spend these days. Yeah. So you are absolutely up to your eyeballs in work, I'd imagine. And I would s- suppose that you're going to be, and we have been seeing a lot of projects recently. What have you brought to market that's been a real success in the last 12 months that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a lot of projects coming to us right now, especially with the bear market. Yeah. You know, people obviously need funding, but a lot of investors are more hesitant in this market, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm also an advisor on a project called Polymath, which is very yep. well known yep. across the security token space. And we've been doing a lot on that front to really get the word out, help building STOs uh, you know, around the world. Now we're looking to launch a actual protocol for security layer infrastructure. Um, so that's some of the interesting things happening there. Um, also worked on several other projects like Hurify, yeah. which is an IoT project coming out of the United States. Um, also built by you know industry experts and already live as a platform. It's ready. Okay. Um, so that's that's a pretty exciting one. And there's a number of others right now that we're working on. So I mean, your background, you know, being an entrepreneur. When did you come into this space, and what really made you decide that? I mean, look, you got choice, right? Mm-hmm. We can do what we want. Why blockchain? Yeah, so, I mean, there's a number of things. I mean, as an emerging technology and what blockchain really means, I mean, it, it is opening the door to a whole breadth of changes across, you know, multiple industries. And so that's exciting. Um, and so a, as a technology, we're very excited about it. The crypto space itself uh, has also been, you know, obviously in the news a lot, especially because yeah. of you know, the changes in, in, in the volatility, yeah. the increase in price, the decrease in price. And so that's been also, an, it's an exciting space to, to work with. I mean, from, from my perspective, what we're really looking for is working on real technologies that are gonna develop this space. Yeah. And so, and really also even seeing, not only from a pure technological front, we're also interested in the education front on how do we actually educate the masses, the masses about blockchain yeah. and crypto how do we even get governments on board with this? And so an example of that would be recently the United Nations actually reached out to us and actually wanted some help looking at fintech and blockchain for the Arab region. And so that's something pretty interesting that we're working on now with the United Nations to actually help you know, create a report, explain the benefits and drawbacks, see if we can help bring some things mainstream, but also work then with governments to actually help them understand this and get around a lot of the stereotypes yeah. in this space. Um, so, it's, so it's pretty exciting things happening. And how, how's that, I mean, how, is those, how are those conversations going? I mean, we need to see this adoption increase. Mm-hmm. We need to see 
a collaborative environment, which I do believe we have in blockchain. It is very collaborative. It's, it seems to be a friendly place to do business to a certain extent. But what are some of the key aspects that you're talking to the United Nations about? How to bring it mainstream and mm-hmm. how to help them to understand what this is? Because, I mean, the United Nations, I mean, this is big. It's big for our community. It's big for the space. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to break down the problems that are happening in society and actually share how blockchain can help it. So an example would be looking at you know, small and medium-sized businesses that are doing business across, you know, across regions, have to deal with multiple currencies, yeah. looking at you know, what is the cost of actually moving money between various countries in the Middle East, various countries between Middle Eastern countries and abroad. And, you know, and then helping them understand how could blockchain help that? How could other technologies even help that, right? And so, and, and it's always blockchain mixed with something else, right? Yeah. Like blockchain isn't a solution on its no. own. And so we're helping them to understand, you know, these problems actually with data, helping them understand then how do we break them down and then what are the actual solutions? And then ideally even trying to pinpoint certain governments that are, you know, more interested in helping to incubate some of these things or put some funding down towards helping to, to you know, nurture these types of technologies growing in the region. So, okay, what sort of countries do you see as being the countries that could likely benefit the most? Of course, we've, we've seen uh, Venezuela have a panic attack, uh, essentially, mm-hmm. and, and move into that uh, petrodollar. Is that the best solution? I mean, really? Is it? Yes or no? So, I mean, is it, what sort of countries are going to benefit the most from blockchain and in what way? Yeah, so, I mean, I wasn't actually convinced on the petrodollar for several reasons. I mean, a big part of this is going to be trust still, even yeah. in the blockchain space. And the reason is you need to trust the Venezuelan government's promise. Yeah. And that's clearly not uh, a guarantee by any measure, especially when you think about governments and how drastically governments can change in these types of countries especially, right? And, and the next government might do the exact opposite of the previous government because they tend to be um, very, very opposition-like and, and it's not as much of a stable type of government that you typically see in the developed world. Even, yeah. even that's in, coming into question these days though. And, um, and so where we really see the benefit is while governments can nurture it, we need it to be technologies and, and, and businesses that that are helping the people and the people are adopting, right? And so there is a value as well to governments driving certain things. So, you know, we're seeing Singapore exploring uh, their own currency that's linked to crypto. Russia's already done it, right? So there's an e-rubble that that they've launched and they've got a whole set set of rules around that. China's exploring it. A number of other countries are exploring it as well. And and there's value to that, but that's going to be a highly regulated uh, you know, type of environment, yes. and they're obviously going to be a lot more cautious, right? Yeah. And it's also, of course, going to be private blockchain, right? They're not going to be putting all of their records on who touched each piece of money or, or, or each coin publicly. Like, that wouldn't be what we would expect from governments. Um, we can see value, though, of helping to nurture and create the right sets of resources, or even the right sets of regulation that doesn't stifle innovation yes. just to allow businesses itself to operate in that environment and create solutions. What we're also seeing that's pretty interesting in countries that have, say, governments that they can't trust, hyperinflation, we're actually starting to see and hear about businesses in these places that are actually willing to accept crypto over their own national currency. And so it's almost starting to come in and people are saying, hey, we can't trust our government because we have thousand percent inflation. 
or more. And that's also pretty interesting um, thing that we're seeing right now as well. Well, effectively, that comes back to the main reason for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I mean, post DFC, we saw the lack of trust through the bankers. And then we saw a huge amount of people go through a huge amount of pain, suffering, loss. People commit suicide mm -hmm. due to what occurred during that period. No one went to jail. No one was held responsible. And the world kind of went, well, how Bitcoin came to us and it's there now. Do you think we're going to see that occurring more? I mean, Turkey is a recent example. A lot of the Turkey, Turkish people have been going into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. But what I find very interesting at the moment, despite all these stories and reasons for the adoption to be increasing, and I do believe that we are seeing an increased adoption, we see the prices maintain a very tight consolidation, and we have done for the last three years. Why is that? Yeah, so I mean, there's a number of things. I mean, we're seeing, of course, sentiment being much lower. Uh, I mean, you can even look at this from like keyword trend searches yes. that are down <laughs> dramatically yeah. since, you know, the start of this year. Yeah. Um, you're obviously seeing a lot of people exiting positions right now. Um, I mean, these things happen as well in markets, market. right? And so, so while that is true, there's the other side of it where there's also a lot of market manipulation that's happening to drive prices up earlier this year. There's still a lot of you know, market making. I mean, on some exchanges, it can be 50%, 60%, wow. 70% of the volumes. And, and that, to me, you know, isn't great. Um, we do want to see real adoption being driven. Probably the best use case right now for most currencies is just being able to move it, like yeah. money almost, like digital Across money. Across borders, right? Quickly. That's probably the most used use case. Yeah. Um, so for most of these ICOs, we're not actually seeing real use cases yet. Um, they're starting to come out, but what we really need is real adoption, simplifying and bridging the digital world with the traditional fiat world, right? So that there's actual simplifications for people to actually use these. Ideally, even seamless ways where they might not even know they're using crypto. Yeah. Like that's where it starts to get more interesting. Then we're also starting to see big announcements like Fidelity, oh, that's which huge. is a big deal. Yeah. And, and things like this will also help drive masses to adopt it through their portfolio. So the, the average person might not even know they own crypto, but in their portfolios they will then. What's really interesting that people don't realize is in Korea actually, so in South Korea, the pensions have already been buying crypto assets for years. Wow. And so in reality, a lot of the Korean people, they're very tech savvy and understand yes. crypto really well, but a lot of them already own it even if they don't know it because their pensions have actually been purchasing it already. So, so I mean, we talk about South Korea or Korea in general, and we talk about how they have adopted it well. They are using it in, in many different places. They're very savvy. How do we get the rest of the world, and you talked about education at the beginning, Ali. How are we able to get the rest of the world to sort of catch on? Because there still is that connotation of funny internet money, Silk Road money. And the only reason that is is because people just don't get it. Mm -hmm. How do we get that message across? I mean, yeah. Just so time? Or? <laughs> I, I think one, one part is people don't get it. I think the other part is there's a lot of misconceptions, people sharing misinformation. I mean, you see from a lot of governments, they might even talk about Bitcoin being used for money laundering. Yeah. In fact, it's much more transparent than any fiat currency yep. that exists. And we've even seen that and proven that through crackdowns on Silk Road or well, other things. Well, we're saying people go to jail. Exactly. Because it's there. Exactly. And so in reality, it is a, it's a much more transparent system. What what I dislike is a lot of people 
just push crypto as a, a pure way to make money. A speculative and, asset class only. And a speculative asset class and don't share the risks. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously as a fund, we're, we're, we're in this as well to have a return and we do want to do well and we want others to do well. Yeah. Um, we want to make sure that people are informed in a way that allows them to make good decisions because we, we also know, I mean, and you mentioned post uh, global financial crisis, you know, a lot of suicides, no one went to jail. I mean, in this industry though, we saw, you know, some of these currencies, you know, skyrocket. We saw Bitcoin go up, go up you know, close to 20,000. Yeah. Um, and now you're seeing a lot of people take out mortgages or a lot of loans and they lost a lot of money. And this in part was a lot of misinformation. Yeah. And, you know, we have even started hearing about people committing suicide or other things on this. And, and it's a really sad situation. And so what we really need is, you know, governments to share more about blockchain and even maybe information about crypto. And, yeah. and, and, and then we also need leaders in this industry or people in this industry, you know, including, you know, myself and you yeah. to be, you know, also sharing what the real risks are. I mean, there is the upside, but we want people to know you know that what the risks are. We want them to not be putting in more than they can, yeah. um, and and understand even the types of companies that they are, and understanding even the fact that it's not regulated. There is a lot of misinformation, and and help try to get to the bottom of you know what's really happening. But people need to be made aware that with amazing potential growth in an emerging economy, an emerging sector, an emerging technology, which this is, comes massive risks. Yes, the uh, the hope is that we buy Amazon at a dollar or Google at a dollar. Uh, and we see it turn into one of the next leading companies globally, and we get a very good return on investment. But for every Google and Amazon, there is 150,000 companies that fall. And I do agree with you in that sense that people are possibly putting in more than they should be because they believe, just through the hype, that things are going to be different this time. Well, things are never different. They're always the same. One of my frustrations, and I because I'm an educator, because I teach people literally how to enter and exit, how to trade. There's so many people that had on paper an enormous amount of money last year in December, January, but they didn't sell. Now these people are hurting right now. A simple bit of education to teach them that markets don't go up forever. When they do that and get parabolic, they will come back. That could have saved or made a lot of people save. It I know this sounds really silly to say, but it, it's, I truly believe this, that that sort of an education can help these people that are getting so depressed and so down that they feel their only option is to exit this planet. A little bit of education, a little bit of information that's valid, true, and intelligent. Mm -hmm. If you're going to Twitter for all your news, ugh, wake up, you know? How do we get around that? How, how do we teach, because a lot of it's millennials at the moment, mm -hmm. younger generation. How do, but how do we trust the news now? That's an issue we've got. How do we get around this? So, yeah, th this is actually an interesting point. Trusting the news, I mean, in this day and age, whether it's, it's crypto or non-crypto, I mean, it's questionable. In general, yeah, it's in general, um, yeah. I mean, we are seeing interesting things. So, for example, um, we're working with a company called Decentralized News Network, and they're actually working on eliminating fake news and decreasing fake news. And, and maybe in the future they'll, they'll work on the crypto markets. Right now it's focused on, yeah. on, the, on the general news. Yeah. Um, but, but there are solutions that could help to decrease this, help to pinpoint bad actors that are manipulating markets, et cetera. Um, but, but you're right. And, and so 
We've also seen solutions like uh, Track Crypto. So it's, uh, it's a show that we've seen that's working on uh, educating the population on trading using virtual dollars, so fake, fake dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a virtual account, uh, you trade, there's leaderboards, it's gamified, uh, there's courses on blockchain and crypto yep. that you can take, you can get certificates, and they're giving away prizes, I think up to 100,000 a month in prizes to winners of this competition, as well as a, a quiz show that teaches you more about blockchain yep. as well. So there's things like this starting to come out, I know there's others um, that I think could also be helpful to educate people and gamify it as well. Um, so that they kind of understand it, go through some motions of taking courses, at least understand some of those ups and downs a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of risks as well that you know I think people just need to continue to share, not to overstretch. And, and look, you know. information is power. Always manage your risk. If there's one thing I can say about anything in life is always manage your downside because the worst case scenario will happen to you more than once in your life and in crypto, maybe more than once in a year. Which is true. And I mean, even in the traditional world, I mean, there's tons of reports and, and, and you know, we have the same opinion that um, we think in the next two years, we might potentially go into a global financial crisis. Yeah. Um, and Ray Dalio, for example, is a great um, leader on sharing some of his concerns right now globally when a lot of people aren't. He's a good barometer. Uh, and, and so, you know, keeping in mind that even not only on the crypto side, but in general, I mean, things could get really bad over the next few years and, yeah. you know, just making sure you are managing that risk. Now, do you think, I know this is a very difficult question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think that the stock market crash uh, or correction, because it doesn't need to crash, it can pull back, mm -hmm. it can be a bear market. We just, we seem to be in a cycle of crashes the last sort of 20 years as opposed to a bear market. It just goes thump. Which is kind of good for markets because it washes it out pretty quick and we can get back to getting on with life, right? If we fall within a year and wipe everything out quickly, it can be a lot less painful than the grind of a three-year bear market. We can get back to prosperity and it's all good. But do you think that a, a falling stock market might bring more into crypto or will people exit markets and go even further away from those higher-risk assets? Yeah, so I, I think there's, there's both parts. So, so first we're looking at a correlation with wealth. Yeah. So as people's wealth go down, they'll pull back from both, yeah. right? But then we see an anti-correlation with uh, things like Bitcoin and potentially Ethereum as well, where we think that it, when markets continue to go down on stock markets, we do think there will likely be an uptake okay. over time yeah. um, with Bitcoin and Ethereum. A lot of the other ICOs, not necessarily. And so it, it depends. And the reason is, uh, traditional businesses, so if, they, if, they, if they, they're an ICO but still a traditional business, um, if token prices go down and people consolidate back to Bitcoin and Ethereum, their companies will be hurting. They still need to pay their people. They may need to raise traditional capital, which they can no longer do likely in a, in a stock in a market, market crash. Or yeah. a bear, yeah. so, so there will be a lot of other tools that are, that are going away in that market, you know, and they might you know, they might have development also get hit pretty hard and, and things like that. And so um, spending would go down, of course, if it's a business that obviously needs people to be spending on yeah. it, let's say it's an e-commerce or anything else. I mean, spending will be down naturally. And so there will be a hit to other ICOs Many projects. Okay. probably pretty hard. But the bigger projects may still, because they might just put a little bit and go, well, do a little bit. Some things of the more wealthy people more likely because people will lose their disposable income if they lose their jobs. Which um, is true. We, we do think that 
in bear markets, you do see strong projects emerge. So like this is very yeah. common. And so like we could see, for example, more M&A, which we think we need in this industry. Yeah, I've been watching that this year. There has been a little it's bit more creeping some. in. It's starting to gain some momentum. Yeah, like so actually an interesting one is uh, we met a company called Every out of Seattle. And they've now, I believe if I'm not mistaken, acquired three or four companies in tokens. And these were traditional venture-backed businesses. Yeah, right. And that was pretty interesting. And, and they basically aligned people to believe in their token. And they haven't even finished their, their private sale yet. And so that yeah. was pretty interesting. But they've got an extremely strong team, very like laser-focused vision and product development way ahead of schedule. But, but things like this, we'll, we'll start to see more as the market goes down. Like ideally, you know, 20 or 50 e-commerce companies consolidate into much less and they strengthen and then you know, can have a better shot at competing with yeah. traditional businesses that might actually be better funded. Yeah. Um, and similarly, we, we hope and we, we expect to see that across this industry. Well, there's certainly a lot going on in the space. There's absolutely no doubt. I'm going to ask you one last question, Ali, at the end here. We always hear about the internet and blockchain being compared to each other because they're emerging technologies and the internet did change the world. It's the easiest way to really connect with people to suggest what this could be. The internet started to really grow and become something more than just a layer. In 93, 94, we saw the run up, the boom, and then the come off the bust. Of course, we're a lot further ahead now. Do you think we're somewhere between 93 and 2000? If so, what year? Are we before it or are we after it? What do you think? So that, that is a tough question. We do see a lot of parallels between uh, you know, blockchain and, and crypto and the internet. Um, we do also think it's just as transformational of a technology when implemented and partnered with other technologies, similar to actually what the internet has done. Yeah. So it's a tough question though. So it's meant to be. It, it's meant to be. <laughs> um, you know, we, we do think that we haven't actually uh, hit that, that major bubble yet. Um, and there's a long way to go. Yeah. So, you know, we think the markets could go up 10, 20, 30 X from here before we even hit that bubble. And, and in a way to um, put that into perspective, Dot com was about a, a six, uh, it was about, I believe, about a six trillion yeah, dollar six bubble. Six to eight trillion. And so, you know, we could see probably similar numbers and, and maybe greater just because of how much more interconnected yeah, the world I agree. is. I agree. And so we're kind of looking at that as a range for potentially a, a bigger bubble. Um, and so I guess take it what you will because the world's probably accelerating much quicker now than it did at that point. So give me a year. Okay, so <laughs> probably about like 96, 97. Okay, yeah. 96, 97. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm really happy to hear that you uh, were looking at the same sort of comparatives for where we might get to as far as market cap, because I've been doing my research in that sort of field as well. I'm trying to work out. It's, it's, look, it's a very how long is a piece of string, but uh, it is, you know, history does repeat itself. And uh, things do happen again and again. So I wish you all the best of luck with everything you're doing, your ventures. Absolutely. It's been an absolute pleasure having you Thank on the show. Thank you. Can you please tell everybody where they can find more information about you? Absolutely. You I mean, you can uh, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Ali Madovji. Feel free to reach out to me uh, as well on there. And I'm, I'm happy to chat. And all, you can also find me on Twitter as well under Ali underscore Madovji. Absolute pleasure